Hi Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video, I'm going to start talking about a little bit of nonfiction that Tolkien wrote. And it's not um, really meant to be a writing so much. Uh, there's a collection of his essays out there, and the essays are not meant to be essays so much as lectures that he delivered. But they're available now as essays, and the one that I want to talk about in this video is his essay on fairy stories. And the reason I want to talk about this one in particular is if you had to read one essay that's available by Tolkien to really get a better insight into his overall theory of you know, what, what he was doing when he was writing Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and some of his other fantasy works, this is the one to read because it really explains a lot of his own thinking about the nature of fantasy, what its purposes are, why we engage in it, um, and that kind of thing. So if you read on fairy stories and you really pay attention, you get a lot of really important ideas that help you understand you know, not only his thinking on the issue, but will give you a little deeper insight into the stories themselves and will probably increase your appreciation for those stories. So without getting into any more detail, let's get started. The problem with talking about on fairy stories is there's a lot to talk about. I'm not actually going to try to cover everything in this video because he goes over a lot of different topics and explores a lot of different ideas. Uh, in this video in particular, I'm going to explore his theme of fantasy as sub-creation. That's the term he uses, and it's basically his way of saying Fantasy is, is the human uh, act of creating something new. I mean, it, it, he ties the idea of fantasy to imagination. And he does that, as a good philologist would, to the original use of the word fantasy, which essentially did mean imagination. You know, your, your fantasies are the things that you imagine. He didn't use the term fantasy per se as a genre term. So... His entire thesis in on fairy stories, as far as this one particular theme goes, is that fantasy is a uniquely human thing because it is a creative thing. You don't really see animals doing creative things. I mean, some animals will put things together and they can make rudimentary tools, but you don't see animals creating things. And, you know, and there's a obviously different levels of what we might call creation. There's, you know, from the theological aspect, there's creation ex nihilo. You get, you know, God creating everything out of nothing or something like that. And that very much plays into Tolkien's understanding of what fantasy is. But he's talking about something different because obviously as humans, we can't create things out of nothing. But we can create in the sense that we can imagine completely new or at least Derivative, derivatively new things. So, for example, the ideas of elves and dragons and things like that, or an entirely separate world, or, you know, things that are very much based on what we can see in the real world, but are very much not the same as what we see in the real world, they are, in a sense, new at least in the sense that they don't really exist, but we can imagine them and we can create a secondary world, as he would use the term, in which there is a consistent realism that makes it all hang together. And that's one of the key aspects to his theme of the sub-creation, is the idea of creating 
what he calls secondary belief, which is essentially the same thing as what we talk about when we say a willing suspension of disbelief. So he talks about the fact that if you do your storytelling right, you can create the sensation in the reader that what he is reading is true, even though you know there's no such thing as elves and orcs and all this sort of thing, you still create that sensation that what you're reading is an internally consistent, logical, rational thing. And in fact, that kind of ties back to my original point that it's a, a human activity because he also makes the point that fantasy is, on its own terms, rational. It's a very logical thing to do as well as a creative thing to do. In fact, he even says in the essay that if at any point you know, in human history, logic and science become either arbitrary or disregarded, then fantasy itself would languish because the, the way you make fantasy work is by creating an internal consistency, and you can only do that through the use of logic. And of course, you know, some people would say that, you know, you can't, you know, fantasy is illogical and whatnot, but Tolkien's entire point is you're missing you're missing the point of what fantasy is. It's not about meeting the demands of this world. It's about meeting the demands of a secondary created world that is of your own creation. We can imagine worlds where different rules hold, and as long as you follow those rules, the world holds together, and it is in that sense, as Tolkien would say, true. And that was you know, kind of his main point in that regard was fantasy can be true in the limited sense that it's not internally inconsistent. You can create a world where all the events that occur, all the things that happen, what people do, what people say, all make sense within the world you create. And so a lot of his discussion centers around this idea of internal consistency, creating the sense of, uh, as he calls it, secondary belief, or what we might call willing suspension of disbelief, in in the toward the end of getting the reader to more fully appreciate the creation that the author has put together so that's one of the first main things that he goes into and you can't this is one of the ideas that kind of gets spread throughout the entire essay he doesn't really conglomerate all of that in one spot and that's true of a lot of what he puts into the essay so i'm kind of trying to draw different parts together and put him uh kind of draw them together for, for, to put together different themes, but you really have to read the whole thing a couple times to get some of these ideas really clear cut. So that's the first major idea, but there's also some more I want to get into that's also related to the sub-creation theme. So a second aspect of sub-creation that Tolkien talks about is the idea of sub-creation as art, and specifically as art versus magic. And for Tolkien, he actually uh, distinguishes the two based on his definition of magic, which is basically about seeking control or power. His idea of magic is that you're either seeking control over nature or power over other people or that sort of thing, whereas art is about creating things, and in the case of art as literature, you're creating something for the enjoyment of other people. You're not seeking to control or produce an outcome so much as you're you know, more just creating for the enjoyment of other people or even just yourself because for a long time Tolkien's stories and his language creation was all for himself. So it was just 
private enjoyment. But this becomes important because he also talks about uh, some of the literary purposes of fantasy, and he talks about the idea of fantasy as escapist. And he talks about this largely to debunk what he thinks is a misunderstanding of what you know the art of fantasy is really all about. He says that a lot of people criticize fantasy because they, you know, see it as escapist, but he makes the point, why are we so worried about this being escapist? If we find ourselves in a prison, why would we, you know, criticize the prisoner for dreaming of escape? And his point is, we live in a world where we feel imprisoned. We live in a world where we know things aren't as they should be, and why should we therefore not seek you know, some some level of escape in a story that uh, that conforms more to our idea of how things ought to be. And this kind of goes into the last and most important part of his uh, theming around the sub-creation theme is the idea that we fantasy as a creative thing is creative because we are created and made in the image of a creator. And in fact, he has a direct quote on point, and this is my copy of The Monsters and the Critics and other essays, which has on fairy stories in it, but he says, fantasy remains a human right. We make in our measure and in our derivative mode because we are made, and not only made, but made in the image and likeness of a maker. And this comes back to the idea of Tolkien's Catholicism, which I've kind of been touching on in, in several of these videos, and you may be getting tired of it a little bit, but I think it really is key to understanding a lot of what Tolkien writes. It influences the politics of Middle-earth, it influences, you know, the social thinking of the hobbits even. I mean, it influences so much that if you don't, if you disregard Tolkien's Catholicism, you're, you're missing out on a lot of a lot of really deep understanding of what he's trying to say and, and how he thinks about things, whether you agree with it or not. So I don't think it's wise to disregard his Catholicism. I think you ought to really know about it because it helps you understand what he's writing even better. And this is, he puts this into his own theory of what fantasy is. He says fantasy is our doing the same thing as the creator does. God made us ex nihilo. He created us out of nothing. And we lacking that capacity, make things not in the same way that God does, but in a way that is consistent with the fact that we are made in his image, because we are made to be like the creator in some ways, one of those ways being we can ourselves create things. And so that plays into a lot of his understanding of fantasy, and it becomes really important because he also ties fantasy to Christianity itself in the essay, and the way he does that is really interesting, and this kind of gets into another video that I want to do on this topic, uh, which I, I'm i not going to get into all the details right now, but his, uh, his main point as far as the sub-creation theme goes is that every time we're making fantasy to the extent that we do it well, we're doing it in a way that echoes the true, the true myth, which is the way he called the, the Christian story to Lewis in an effort to convert Lewis, 
we're echoing that true myth every time we do fantasy. And the better we do fantasy, the more accurately we capture the echo of the true myth. And he basically is making the point that all that we do is somehow echoing what God himself has done through history. And again, you don't have to agree with this, but it, it really colors your appreciation of his works because you can tell, you know, even though a lot of people have tried to allegorize the Lord of the Rings to different aspects of the Christian story, for instance, some people say the ring is the cross and Frodo is Christ and, you know, all these different things, Tolkien would disagree, but they echo those things in a symbolic sort of way because everything that he does in his creative fantasy is an echo in some sense of the main true myth. And this is where uh, it really, I don't want to go too far because I'm going to start bleeding into the other video that I want to do, but it bleeds into the idea of the true, the happy ending. His entire uh, theory about this kind of revolves around the idea that fantasy is supposed to be about a happy ending. That's, that's why it's escapist and that's why it's true, true in the you know, sub-creative sense. It echoes reality as, as we know it ought to be, or in Tolkien's case, believing in a Christian worldview, the way that it really is in the end. So there's a lot tied together there that's hard to really disentangle, but it, the important point is he's making the, the connection between our ability to create with God's own creation of us in his image and our creation to the extent that we do create, itself echoes that creation again. It's kind of, it's a tertiary, you know, effect that ends up echoing the, the primary effect. And so that's how he ties it all together. And I, I want to say more, but I, I really can't because then I'll be spoiling the other video I want to do. But that kind of sums up and wraps up the theme of sub-creation in On Fairy Stories. So I'll cut it short there couple more quick things before I wrap up, actually. Uh, there's a really nice poem he puts in here because he quotes a letter that he wrote to uh, somebody who is essentially criticizing him, saying, why are you, you know, writing fantasy? That's just a waste of time, and, you know, that's, that's stupid. And he wrote, <laughs> and it's, it's a really fun poem. Dear sir, I said, although now long estranged, man is not wholly lost nor wholly changed. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned, and keeps the rags of lordship once he owned. Man's sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white, to many hues and endlessly combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins that we dared to build, gods in their houses out of dark and light, and sowed the seeds of dragons, t'was our right! Used or misused, that right has not decayed, we make still by the law in which we're made. And again, that goes back to his idea of creation as something that we're more or less designed to do. It's not something uh, that's foreign to our nature. In fact, he makes the point that God takes pleasure in the fact that we can create because that's part of why we're created is to be able to do things that are new. And he also makes the point that in some sense, the Christian story itself is the human desire for subcreation raised to the level of reality. God essentially takes our desire for this type of myth-making, this type of fantasy, 
and raises it to the level of reality by carrying out what, again, going back to Tolkien's use of the term true myth to describe Christianity, Lewis, before he was uh, converted by Tolkien, was he realized the fact that uh, Christianity was a very beautiful story. He just saw it as a myth. And so Tolkien said, well, yeah, it's a myth, but it's a true myth. Just think of it as a true myth. And that's kind of what clicked in Lewis's head. So the point is, it's the kind of story that you would kind of expect humans to make. And so God takes the type of thing that we're basically, you know, innately designed to enjoy and believe and makes it real for the purpose of carrying out his plan of salvation. That's, you know, Tolkien's take on it. So, I mean, there's really interesting connections there. Uh, now, I'm done for real with the actual essay, but I do want to also talk about a couple connections with something else that I've talked about in a previous video. So in one of my previous videos, I talked about the Smith of Witten Major and how that story is in some ways reminiscent of Tolkien's own life and his own experiences writing fantasy and engaging in other areas of fairy story, you know, either through translating older works or coming up with his own stories, whatever. Well, there's some connections with the On Fairy Stories essay. They're not really direct, but they are important. And the reason I uh, say that is because the the theme that Tolkien talks about, and especially one that kind of came out in that poem I just quoted a little bit ago, he talks about the fact that we've, you know, fantasy is our right, but we, it's kind of fallen by the wayside. A lot of people criticize fantasy, especially in Tolkien's day. It was considered, you know, kind of juvenile, and he, he bemoans the fact that it was relegated essentially to the nursery room. And there are echoes of this in the Smith of Wooden Major story because he, at different points in the story, he recognizes um different elements of fairy in his own experience in his what we might call real world of the town that he's from. For example, uh, one of the very first things that happens in the story is he takes part in the eating of a great cake and on top of the great cake is placed an image of a fairy queen. Well he ends up meeting the queen of fairy at some point in the story and he realizes she actually looks like the figurine that was atop the cake, and she realizes that he realizes this and basically says, don't feel bad for your people. It's better that they maintain at least some memory than no memory at all, even if the memory they do retain is kind of diminished and warped a little bit because it's, it's more important that we retain fantasy to some extent. And you get the idea that the point she's making is kind of related to that whole idea of you're missing out on truth. Uh, at least if you've read his On Fairy Stories essay, you can kind of read that into it. And I think that those two really are connected. She's making the point that to the extent that humans forget fantasy, it's because they've forgotten some element of truth. And, and I think that, again, that goes back to Tolkien's own theory about how fantasy really is about mimicking truth even if it's not m really mimicking real life. I mean, there's a distinction to be made there because truth is 
something that you you can derive truth out of a lot of things that aren't real. You know, we we talk about parables. You know, we talk about you know Aesop's fables, that sort of thing. There are truths embedded in things that we know don't happen. So that's kind of what fantasy is for Tolkien. I might have to do another video just on that topic as well because that deserves a lot of discussion on its own. Uh, but you go, you get the idea that that's very much a part of what the Smith of Wooden story, Wooden Major story is about is the idea of reclaiming, you know, a, a human birthright, which is basically what Tolkien calls it. It's 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 our right to engage in fantasy, and it's it's essentially our highest artistic calling because it's again that creative process. We're not merely you know, it's not like a painter goes out and finds a nice landscape and essentially copies the landscape. You know, that can be beautiful, it can be very well done, but it's not the highest calling because it's not using the full extent of our ability as humans to imagine truly new things. You can do that in paintings and sculptures, and you can do it in literature. And to the extent that we don't do that, we're kind of not living up to our primary you know, artistic purpose in in that sense. And so you can draw that connection between On Fairy Stories and Smith and & Wooten Major, and it's interesting to see how those two interplay. If you read the two in conjunction with each other and really pay attention to the themes, you get a little bit more out of each one, and, and both become a little more meaningful. So if you've already read Smith & Wooten Major, but you haven't read On Fairy Stories, or if you read them very far apart, reread On Fairy Stories and keep the themes in mind, and then go back and reread Smith of Witten Major, because you'll find that some of those ideas definitely play into each other both ways. There's a little bit of, you know, they, they cross, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, germinate, cross-germinate a little bit, and it's really interesting to see how that plays out when you really think about both of them from the overall perspective of, you know, all the things that Tolkien wrote. And this is why I think On Fairy Stories is so important, because it really does give you a much deeper insight into some of the things that Tolkien is saying, even though he doesn't say them explicitly or in ways that you can really grasp, you know, necessarily on a first read. So I highly recommend you pick up On Fairy Stories if you haven't definitely read it. It's got lots of little gems that I haven't even touched on. There's, like I said, there's more themes to talk about as well that I'm going to have to do more than one video on it. So I'll leave it there for now though, because I've kind of exhausted what I can talk about from that one theme. And that's all I really wanted to touch on for now. So let me leave the topic. So that is on fairy stories. I hope you, uh, found the discussion interesting. I hope it inspires you to either pick it up or read it or reread it because I, you know, I've read it more than one time and the first time, you know, I picked some things up, but the second time I picked more up. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings. You can read it multiple times and learn something new every time you read it. So hope you find this enjoyable. If you do, please like the video, share it. If you like these kind of topics, if you want to learn more about Tolkien or the worlds he created, please subscribe. You can also follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore. And until next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namadier.